Hello, Air Warriors, and welcome to another episode of Chevron's The Podcast, The Enlisted Force. I am your host, Chief Master Sergeant Sean Sullivan, and I am joined with our PA extraordinaire engineer, Sergeant Jay Whitaker. How are we doing, Chief? We are doing great. Now, we got a couple of guests here today, and this is kind of an episode that I was kind of really looking forward to because we have so much that we can bridge into. We can talk about family. We can talk about partnership in the garden, what it means to you. You can talk about breaks and services. There's just, there's just like so much here. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce the first of our two guests, and that would be uh, Master Sergeant Townsend. However, we don't know which Master Sergeant Townsend it's going to be because we've got them both here. <laughs> so, you know what? Uh, we're going to start with our brand new HRA. So, Master Sergeant Townsend, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Chief. Thanks for having me. Um, my name's Deborah, and um, I started my Air Force career long ago uh, in a unit that my dad served in. And um, I um, came into the Guard so that I could pay for school. And then I eventually took a full-time job working in the Guard. And then it became my part-time job. And uh, this is the place where I met my husband, Master Sergeant Brad Thompson. And how many years uh, have, of guard time do you have now? I have uh, 21 years of service with uh, 17, counting for retirement almost, and uh, over the course of about 30-something years. Yeah, so you, how I long was that break in service? That break in service was about 13 years. Wow. 2000 to 2013. All right. And... Master Sergeant Townsend, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Chief. Thanks very much. This is uh, Master Sergeant Bradford Townsend. Um, I'm the, I am currently the MSG First Sergeant, just graduated from school. Um, so I, I, I enlisted in 1993 at the age of 23 at the 101st Air Control Squadron, uh, a unit that my father was in, along with uh, with Deborah's dad. Um, so they, they served together and then, you know, Fast forward, we served together, and we can probably go back to uh, kids' Christmas parties that we were that we were definitely at long, long ago. Um, so I joined, uh, like I said, in '93, and I went into the into a mobile comm unit, satellite communications, wideband communications, and it was uh, it was really awesome. It was a really awesome transition because I at previously to that I was a auto mechanic, so working with my hands and setting up all the equipment, and that that really tied tied things together for me. So I did that for about seven years, and I transferred down to the Cape um, in late 96, I think, down to the 267 Combat Communications Squadron. Oh, well. Yes. And I, I, uh, I got a job as a full-time technician down there. So I did that for until my seventh year, and then I'd, I decided to get out and go work in the commercial world. Because um, at the time, cell phones were were really becoming very, very, very popular in the year 2000. And then, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, um, so I, I was, a, I was a cell phone technician. So my break in service was, was 15 years. Wow. And then I, and then I decided to come back in at the age of 45. Wow. Uh, I, a couple of parallels there. Also two, six, seven combat communications was, was my home when I came into the guard. I also took that long break, and when I came back in, I was 45. So, as I said, there's a lot of parallels here. Um, 
As we move forward, I am going to dispense with the Master Sergeant Townsend because it was fun at the beginning, but it's going to get confusing to the audience. So uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to address you by your first names, Deborah and Brad. As we move on, we have specific questions. But every question I'm going to ask is going to kind of be like for both of you because I want your perspective on it. And I think that one of the things that interests me first is like what what decision, what was your decision process in getting out of the guard when you left it when you did? And then on the flip side of that, what was your thought process in wanting to return back into the guard? Um, so Deborah, you, 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 you first. Sure. Um, the first time I joined the guard, like I said, I was doing that to, uh, to put myself through college to get some money for, to help assist go, th- go through college. And then uh, I found out that I didn't want to be in college full time. I wanted to go do some other things. So it didn't work for me. And I, I went IRR. So I didn't get out. I, I just wanted to defer. And, um, and then I came back, uh, because I wanted to finish my college, uh, full time. So I came back in, took a different, um, career path, took the tech, tech control, uh, at the 101st. And then, um, and then I went back to uh, full-time college and part-time guard. Um, and then that transition led to a full-time job before I graduated my, with my bachelor's degree, I was a little bit, um, of college left and I had the retraining in the guard at the 101st and they said hey we've got a full-time position would you like to come on board and I thought I could make as much money as I would be going in debt so I I flipped the the script again and uh, I took the full-time job at the 101st um, and I was in there for a while before um, transitioning down to 267 uh, for the AGR position Um, and at the time uh, the AGRs were few and far between, and they were not viewed as uh, kind of uh, the, s- the resourcing uh, balance that we have today. We, we really honor life-work balance for no matter what your status is today, uh, guard or technician. Um, that really wasn't the case back in 90, late 90s. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so I found myself as an AGR, full-time AGR, a new mom, uh, in the telecom boom. And I had all these pressures to, um, I could go out on the outside world and make more money and have a better life balance than I, what was being offered to me in the guard as the, um, AGR status and a new mom. So I really left because of the, the rigidity of right. the job structure then. Um, and I went to the commercial world and I found that balance. I could have my career and I could have my kids and I could have life balance. Um, I fast forward, I see that the guard has changed perspective and I really like that. Um, that I feel that the guard makes the effort as they should to help people maintain life balance. And if that had been in place back in 2000, I probably wouldn't have gotten out. I probably mm-hmm. would have stayed in. But we can't go back, so we have to look forward. But and you I definitely feel that we have improved as a guard and as as a state absolutely. with that balance accommodating that. Yeah, I think my perspective of when I had my kids uh, to when you know what I see now, uh, the, the 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 focus on family and flexibility is vastly improved. And have you seen, and with having both perspectives, and currently. Have you seen any degradation in services or capabilities or what we provide with allowing more flexibility and allowing to have a work-life balance? Have you seen any decline 
uh, from when you were in last time till now? No, I think you get the opposite effect. I think you get people's um, loyalty. You've invested in them. They've invested in you. When you cut ties over a temporary situation, you both lose. And so the investment that we have in our airmen uh, should sustain through oh, some ebbs and flows in, in, life, in life cycles, yes. such as parenthood. Exactly. And, and we're trying to learn, learn that as a guard, this, this evolutionary process and how important people are. Um, it's just really, really nice to, to, to hear that we're doing it the right way and it is having the right effect. Because from my perspective, I've seen only improvement, enhanced capabilities. Um, I personally think that Massachusetts has the best air warriors in the world. Um, and allowing that, it, it's just just it's good to see it, right. it reinforces what commands have been trying to and what the guard as an entity has been trying to improve upon. So we don't lose any more great leaders like yourself. Brad, same question. So, yeah, I mean, I, um, kind of for the same reasons I got out, um, because we, we were start, we had started a family. We had, we had our oldest was born Hunter and then she became pregnant with our, with our second child, Ethan. And the commercial world was calling and it was just um, the military just wasn't able to hold on at that at that time, um, you know. For, again, for the same reasons that Deborah was was just talking about. So, so my enlistment was up, and then I decided to I would get out and and do the uh, do the commercial world thing. And I, like I said, I did that for about fifteen years. And um, at that point, she had already gone back in towards after like, like thirteen years or so. And so she's in and she's talking the talk and she's walking the walk and she's wearing the uniform. I'm like, whoa, I miss this. Yeah, yeah. I miss this a lot. And the kids were a lot older at that point. So we could, you know, they could, they could kind of self-sustain a little bit. Right. You know? Um, so I, I called the recruiter and I said, Hey, can you show me around a couple of different places? And he brought me around the, brought me around the wing and he brought me over to CE and he brought me to a couple of, couple different shops that were offering, um, like incentives, but then he brought me over to the structure shop, and he said, "Hey, we got we got a carpentry shop." I said, uh, uh. <laughs> "Tools, Tools. <laughs> yeah." I said, "What else do we do in here? We do we do concrete work." <laughs> Anything else? He said, "Yeah, welding." I said, "Welding." Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. And I was thrilled because he had also been looking at security forces, and I just didn't think I had the heart for that. Oh, geez, yeah. it's it's a, it's That's a tough, a tough assignment. One. Yeah, I, I, our, our cops, um, I I love them. You know that they they know how much I love them, but I also know how how demanding it is for them. And, uh, yeah, you get to, you get to go build stuff all day and, you know, yeah. play with tools. Yeah. I could see where I was looking hard and fast at, at security forces. I wanted yeah. to challenge myself, like really, really challenge myself physically yeah. and mentally. But then CE really did it for me because again, I'm, I'm very mechanically inclined. I like to do stuff and right. make things happen. You know, it's a big drive for me. Yeah. And, and I, I, kind of remember you coming into the shop um i was think i was doing safety at the time uh it was before i became a first sergeant and, and that that changed the trajectory of my career we're going to be getting back to first sergeant in a minute um 
But I remember seeing you around. And I'm like, hey, you know, there's, you know, there, there's this, you know, excited older dude here and playing all these these power tools and whatever. And I, yeah. at that time, I hadn't realized you had taken that long break in, you know, and, and it brought you back in. So it was like really rewarding for me over the, like the last uh, 10 years or so, eight, 10 years. I can't remember how long exactly it's been, but just to see your progression um, as, as you go all the way through. And um, I, Deb, I got to know you early. I think it was... Oh, it was before the Warrior Wellness um, that we did, uh, but even before that, and then seeing the same thing, seeing you advance all the way through. So that's going to bring me into my next question. You both came back into the Guard in jobs that you're no longer performing. As a matter of fact, so far out of your comfort zones originally, uh, it, it, I mean, it's a big change. Steph, I'm going to start with you. Um, what, what was your, like, drive to to get out of your comfort zone and to get into something different? And what things did you try to get into before you got your current assignment? Um, sure. So I came back in and I had been in telecom and different vari- variations of telecom and then I, in the military. And then I went to civilian side. I had a 13-year career in testing telecom and then managing telecom. So on my civilian job, I'm program manager. And I would come in on drill, and I would see, you know, we have this coordination of, of getting the people trained in their, in their skill sets, and then lining up the jobs and getting the funding and getting the engineering. And things weren't always lining up, you know. The, if, it's, uh, if the chain of events doesn't, doesn't gel, then you can, you can have a frustrating drill weekend because you didn't have the opportunity to advance in, in your skill set training that you needed. Um, and it really just comes down to organization, and I was a little frustrated, and we were saying we didn't have any of the uh, some of the particular training opportunities we wanted because we didn't have the engineering packages done. So I, I talked to somebody and said, could I go over on the engineering side? <laughs> and I actually, it came up in, in the, um, the, the unit career assessment of, you know, what, what are we doing that's motivating you on the drill weekend and what's not? And to sit around and not feel accomplished at the end of the drill weekend was a frustration. Right. Um, so those conversations came up, and, and it opened a doorway that I didn't even know it existed until I had had that conversation of how else could I contribute within the squadron. Um, and then, you know, it turns out that those challenges are bigger than just, you know, the unit here because there's all kinds of uh the connections that have to be made to have the funding and to have the jobs. Um, so it's a bigger problem than, than a local squadron. Um, so then I, again, kind of found myself at a ceiling of I have, here I am an advanced part of my career uh, and my, ki- my kids are grown and I want to contribute at a higher level. And um, I wasn't really feeling like I was uh, contributing. So then therefore I didn't really feel accomplished. Um, and one of the things I've always kind of had an affinity for is teaching and, um, you know, I was the kid at the end of the school year that would bring home the extra worksheets so I could do homework and, and play school over the summer. Um, and then technology for um, our transition of the legacy TriTech to TDC, we became the train the trainers. Brad and I were both trainers for the 267 conversion. Um, so I thought, you know, maybe a training position. You know, I could come in on the weekend and I could be the training manager and I could help people ensure um, that they get the training that they need. I've done two different seven levels, so I know the career path and the progression of having your, your first time through your schools, three level, five level, seven level. Then when you retrain, you have different challenges and you have different um, timelines. Uh, and so I thought, well, I'll put in for training. 
Um, and I was, so I was looking for a training opportunity. And I don't remember which came first, but a first sergeant position came up, up open. And I was like, well, I, should, I could do that. I've been the master of our calendar for years. Um, you know, the, the, the army of kids that we raised was <laughs> just a matrix. It wasn't a calendar. How to have everybody ready for their school and their sports activities and have all their gear. And so whatever it was, it's just managing kind of that grid of accomplishments. And, um, uh, you know, everything that we do in the Guard, we can't do if we're not deployment ready. So first sergeants have a big role in that, you know, making sure that your your home life is is set. And if you need a family care plan, you have that. And if your finances are in order and if you're on track for your career. And um, so just so many things and about being a first sergeant appealed to me. So I put in, I think, uh, I don't know, I lost count three, <laughs> four, five, six times. <laughs> um, probably I, not so many for first sergeant, but I had put in for training. I put in for first sergeant and I was coming up second. Every time. And I, I sat in on so many of those boards and it was just amazing. It was never a one or a two. There was always a one A and a one B. It was like the two best. And then it was, you know, let's send them over to the incoming commander for selection. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, you got to come back. You got to come back. You got to come. So we, we saw uh, uh, as many times as I boarded, uh, I was on your boards. Uh, we saw the talents that, that, that you possessed and wanted to make sure that, that you had the opportunity and we just love that you had the tenacity to keep keep coming back until until there was a first sergeant position open and i had um put my hat in the ring for it it was actually the group uh, uh seat was open and um i saw the hra position posted so I opened up the job description and looked at it and it had a couple of references to the DEI directives and the AG, ANGI. And some key phrases came out that, that really spoke to me. Um, and it said that the, um, the job entailed providing airmen what they need to be successful and then ensuring equitable access to the development opportunities. And I thought, boom, that's me. Yep. I need to help get people around any false barriers to putting their hat in the ring for for the guard and for the individual because if we pre-filter on our resources then we don't get the best out of what people have to offer so i thought i can put in for that and then um you know at the same time i encouraged brad to put in for the first sergeant's role and i didn't know whether i would you know, be second fiddle again uh, <laughs> on any of that, or if I even had a chance yeah. to uh, to be selected for the HRA. Um, but I had gone through the training um, manager roles, and I had gone through first sergeant boards. And at this point, I was just really um, going to persist that I wanted to do something to contribute at a, a higher level. And what I lack in patience, I do make up for in persistence. <laughs> <laughs> you do. I want to take a second, uh, uh, Brad, before... Sure. We have you answer the same question because for all the airmen out here listening to that story, I want to surmise the key takeaways that if you are out there and you feel that you are unfulfilled in your current position, you can either stay there and remain unfulfilled and you can just kind of like let everything pass you by and become less fulfilled or you can turn around and do exactly what Deb did and take the bull by the horns and go to your supervision and and work your development plan. And this is the whole reason why we have 
this these new airmen, uh, the ACAs coming out, uh, your uh, uh, your airman competency, competency assessments. This is why I, I keep harping to to supervision, and I and, and it is my firm belief that your evaluation is not a process. That the, the product the, the process is not the product. The product is sitting down and having those conversations. And you as an airman turning around saying, I feel unfulfilled. I've seen these things. I think that the Air Force and, you know, and, and my career would be better suited trying something different, working that out with your supervisor, finding out what's out there, and having the tenacity to keep going and going and going until you achieve that, until you're in a position like you are now, where you're in a very satisfying, fulfilling position, where your skill set is going to be of immense value. Uh, to the airman into the wing and you could have just sat there and said you know what um you know this you know this is not what i thought it was going to be and it could have driven you out but you didn't so that's my take home uh with your story that's why i love it so much is that you know you didn't let that happen um you realized that you had stuff in the tank uh you let your supervision know they saw it in you and then you just kept going until they matched up the right opportunity at the right time because you were we knew you were the right person for the right job. We just had to put the two intersecting together. And so I'm so glad that you are, you are, our, uh, you are the one Oh seconds new HRA. I think that, that there it, it's going to be great for both parties. And that's the way the system's supposed to work. And when it comes together, that's a great thing. Um, because you know, your supervision kept, you know, trying to provide you with opportunity. You let them know what your skill set were. It was recognized until the right fit was made. And that, that's, that's the way it should be for every airman and can be for every airman. So if you're listening to this and you're in a position where you're feeling less fulfilled, then seek that opportunity, you know, bring it to your supervision and find your way forward. Oh, no, I just have a question for our, our wing HRA is just how has the transition been and how, um, why, why do you feel that this is important and why, uh, especially now where we're at? The transition has been, um, you know, it's been slow and fast at the same time. Right. It's been fast because I was put right in. I was given the opportunity to, you know, shadow my predecessor for a while, but then I wasn't really fully sanctioned as an HRA. You can only have one. That's the rule. Right. So, you know, we had to wait for that official transition. And then I need my school date to come through, and I can't, you know, I won't actually go to my orientation training until May, but between January and May, I'm it. So I've been off to the races and running and, and doing uh, – the, the aspects of the job that I can do. So it's, it's a fast and furious ride. Um, but I want to make sure that I pace myself just like that's the, the endurance part is, um, to do this right is to really get in there and, and think of the long term and get the, get the cadence that can be, uh, repeatable and, and get the engagement from our airmen in our community to make sure that we're representing our people and meeting our mission at the same time. Outstanding. All right, Brad, your turn. Now, here you are, a distinguished leader, structure shop, doing the job that you love, and all of a sudden you say, I want to jump into the fire, like into like the volcano, and become a first sergeant with the maintenance support group. How'd that come about? Well, <laughs> so to go back in time a little bit, I, when I came back into the shop, I was uh, 45, 46 years old, staff sergeant, 
and I immediately deployed to uh, to Kuwait. And I was there as just a maintenance guy, you know, doing doing maintenance. And I could kind of see how things how things worked on, on the deployment and interactions with the first sergeant. And the first sergeant was helping a lot of a lot of different folks downrange. And then fast forward a couple more years um, to 2021, I deployed again, but this time as a master sergeant, as the shop supervisor for a structure shop. And I was downrange. I was doing a lot of first sergeant stuff as the supervisor, if that makes sense. It does. Nope. You know, because I had that previous experience of already deploying, and I'm taking all, a lot of these younger airmen with me to the, on this next deployment. So they're all looking to me, you know, Sergeant Townsend, what, what's up? What, what, what are we expecting here? So I was able to walk them through a lot of that process. And um, we had a lot of, um, you know, there was some issues while we were downrange. That they, always, they always pop up, you know, mm-hmm. but there was nothing that we couldn't, nothing we couldn't handle. And I was working with the first sergeant there. And it was just like, wow, this is, this is extremely rewarding to, to do this, you know, very, very rewarding. And I was doing a lot of it at, at home station too. Um, I was relying a lot on my, my uh, staff sergeants and tech sergeants to kind of run the shop for me. So I could do a lot of other, a lot of, a lot of other things around the squadron. At the time I was the, uh, I was the UFPM for Mm -hmm. CE. So I was doing a lot of that and that's kind of, some first sergeant role, you know, yeah. if that makes sense too. No, it does. Yep. Yep. Um, and then the, uh, the first sergeant, this, I'm sorry, the, the CE first sergeant position became available. And I thought, well, I can stay in CE. I can do this. So I applied for it. And, and you know, you were on the board and, yep. and I didn't do so well on that, on that board. <laughs> and I know that I didn't do that well. And that's okay. Because I came back, pulled my, put my boots back on again. The same way I put my boots on every day and uh, it's went right back at it. And then another year goes by and um, I had a conversation with, uh, with Chief Ahase. I'm like, Chief, I need a mentor. You know, it's kind of weird. I'm 51 years old at the time. I'm like, I need a mentor. He said, well, you came to the right place. You definitely came to the right place. Let's have a conversation. So we talked, he talked me through a few things and he said, the only thing that's standing in my way is, is me. And then at that Within the next couple of months, that position opened up, the MSG first sergeant position, and he highly encouraged me to, to apply for it along with a lot, of, a lot of other folks, and and I did. And Yeah, that was a big – I, I wasn't on that board by that time. I was up at JFHQ, but it's my understanding there was a lot of people who put in for that position. Including uh, Deborah. Including <laughs> your wife. Including Deborah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I had to make sure that I really studied, and I, and I couldn't cheat off her at that. At, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I studied really hard, and I took it very, very seriously. And um, I think, it, by all accounts, it went. The interview went very well, and I, got the, I, I, I got would the say job. it went well. Yeah, yeah. Considering the, the outcome, it went well. <laughs> and then I was literally tossed into the fire, like you said, within the next within the next month. Yeah. I was shadowing the the current MSG first sergeant at that time. And she was in and out and then that was it. Yep. Here's the keys. Good luck. I would say, uh, uh, having spent almost seven years as a first sergeant that, um, I was never the MSG first sergeant, but I would, uh, in hindsight, that is 
the biggest heavy lift. Um, and it's because of the diversity of the mission sets. And it's because of how many people that you have to lead and fall into. And then you're also assisting and covering down with, you know, the, the, the CE first sergeant. You're assisting and covering down with the security forces first sergeant. It just, just opens up. It's like this whole big litany of, of places and jobs and calm and, and, you know, FSS. And I mean, it just, it, yes. there's just a lot yes. there. There's multiple triads. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, oh, man. You got security forces triad. CE triad, <laughs> yeah. different cultures and, too. Yes, exactly, and they're and they're covered with their own with their own first sergeant. But right. then you have the MSG on the triad for that, yep. and then LRF. Yep, I'm sorry, LR, LRS, FSS, and um, and Calm. Exactly. So that's there's like five different chiefs, five different commanders, ten different personalities. So it's yeah, yeah, it's, it's challenging, but I, I love it. I think it's great. It is. It it, it to me was the most rewarding step in my career, but uh, because I always like to reiterate to the audience because right out, out in this listening audience right now, there's an airman that applied for something and didn't get it and feels dejected. And there's always two things you can do when that happens. You can say, yeah, you know what, that kind of stung and I don't want to do it again. Or you can turn around and do what you did and say, who can mentor me to get to the next level? What you did. And you got Chief Ahasey, great mentor. You couldn't have picked a better mentor for that because he was the benchmark of first sergeanting. Um, led me into the first sergeant field as well. Uh, so you can, you can fall back or you can surge forward. And for anybody out here who's listening who's saying, geez, do I want to take a second shot at that? You have two success stories sitting right here. It's in the Townsend DNA, not to quit. You have our MSG, or the 102nd MSG, first sergeant, and then you have our new HRA. Two very rewarding positions because of tenacity, not quitting, uh, turning around, you know, you know, finding it within yourself, finding the right mentors, and just driving on. Uh, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention your, your outer garment, Deb. What, what's that outer garment? What does that say? <laughs> This is the uh, 127th running of the Boston Marathon. Oh, did you stop by a tour shop on the way to get that today? or? Uh, no, Chief. I actually earned this. <laughs> oh, how do you earn that? Uh, this was my ninth running of the Boston Marathon. Oh, my God. I knew it was more than one, but I did not realize you have done nine right. consecutive. Now, you could take those marathons that you've run in nine years, just those marathons. That's more miles than I think I've run my entire life. So... Wow. How was it yesterday? Did you have a good time? Uh, yesterday, I had a time. It was challenging. Yeah. And I had a really great first 6.2 miles. And then I had a nice visit with my parents. <laughs> and uh, they are my steady eddies. They are always at the 10K mark. And they have a little homemade sign with a little little uh, image of the, the course, Giant Hill. And... Um, then I started suffering between miles 6.2 and 7. So I had 20 miles of just gutting it out, just digging in. Because for this ninth marathon, um, I'm on my streak. Uh, when you get to Boston, to you have to qualify. Um, it, there's a prescribed uh, qualifying time. And sometimes they have to reduce that field. And sometimes there'll be a percentage of that time that if, say, you get a 355 as your qual time, but the field needs to be shrunk, they'll take that down to a 353. So your qualification is not always as 
advertised unless you have a 10 year streak. <laughs> so that's what I'm on. I'm on a mission to get my 10 year streak. Um, so I really needed to uh, just finish in under, I needed to start, I needed to get there healthy to start. I needed to finish in under six hours to have it count as my ninth consecutive in my, in my long-term quest to eventually get a qualifying time for Boston. Because I run a lot of miles, but I'm, I didn't start running until I was 43. I didn't start running distance until after I'd had all my children. Um, and I, I really um, was motivated to come back into the guard after the bombing of 2013. Yep. But it wasn't until the year later, at 2014, when I watched the survivors uh, and those that could put on prostheses and run the marathon. Hmm. And then I could, not, I could no longer say to myself, I could never run a marathon, because I watched these survivors come back within a year and run that race that took their limb. Right. So... I changed my ideas about whether I could or couldn't run a marathon, and I started training for a marathon. And so yesterday I needed to finish um, that marathon, uh, and despite the discomfort coming on at mile seven, we'll say, I kept going. I did 20 miles of just pacing myself through the the weather, which for me wasn't bad. It was cool enough to keep me from overheating. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of people don't like the rain, but I had my best Boston uh, in that 2018 year when it was um, oh yeah the, yeah the monsoon weather. I remember that <laughs> that to me was was run or die I so I chose that. to run <laughs> and I ran really uh, fast that, that year that was tough as a spectator so, I bet. Uh, that year I made 414 that's the fastest I've ever run the slowest I've ever run was not yesterday uh, the slowest I've run Boston was my first year I did 458 and change 458 I cut under the five-hour mark the first time I took on Boston by just a minute. And yesterday when I came around the corner of um, Hereford to Boylston Street, I ran like I had to run for my life. I just ran like a bat out of hell because I could tell that the timing was 450-something. And I needed to get down there so that I could avoid having my worst time on the course. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to adjust a lot of my goals this year because I I didn't have a lot of time to do the full-on training. And I I really didn't need to try and BQ on the course because it's really not within my range at this time in my life. Um, In a couple years, I'll get some extra buffer on that qualifying (laughs) time. And so that's what I'm working towards. So sometime after the 10-year mark, when I just have to meet the advertised qualifying time, I hope to get a BQ. But yesterday it was really about, you know, um, being persistent and being resilient and uh, enduring and kind of keep that, that long-term goal. Um, and it was, it was suffering yesterday yeah. to be on my feet for five hours. A lot of those uh, elites can't do five hours on their, on mm. their feet. Um, so I did four hours and 57 minutes. <laughs> and I Excellent. beat my worst time <laughs> by one minute and eight seconds. Yeah. And I achieved my ninth Boston and my 13th marathon all since coming back in the guard. That's awesome. So for anyone who says that they could never run a marathon, um, for some of you that might be true. But for most of you, I guarantee if I can do it, you can do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, this year uh, was the first year for the Boston Marathon to do um, the um, non-binary category. Mm-hmm. 
and so and they had some themes at the at the um, at the expo for uh, resilience and inclusivity. And I thought that w- how fitting for That's me this year awesome. that these were the bands. So I have my resilience and my inclusivity bands. That's awesome. The Boston Marathon. That's cool. That fits so so well into uh, into what you're doing and and you know and what we as a guard are you know placing value in. So that's yeah. cool. She's training for the Ruck for Hit, which is in what two weeks? Oh yeah, two weeks away. Yes, yeah. that was another reason I had to keep my uh, patience on my my leg was dog- dogging me at mile seven. But I have a a, a really important event for the community. I'm. Um, doing the Ruck for Heroes in Transition. It's a 220-mile relay. Um, multiple teams uh, made up of seven members will split uh, those 220 miles across uh, the Cape, and we hit all the towns, and it's a fundraiser, um, and Heroes in Transition gives back yep. to veterans in our community. And the significance of the 220 miles is it's the distance from Ground Zero to the Bourne Bridge mm-hmm. uh, for those that, that lost their lives in that. And so um, I have another event that is going to be very challenging. And it starts on Thursday, May 4th at midnight, and it will go through Saturday afternoon. And we wear a 10-pound pack for those of us that are slight Mm -hmm. in weight, and then a 20-pound pack for those of us that are a bit bigger. And that's symbolic of the extra burden that the military carries. So I will be doing that event this year, and this is the first year I've actually trained for it before the marathon because I had always prioritized the marathon over training for that event. Right. And then with less training for that, I suffered more. So this year I, uh, I did a lot more training for that ruck. It's, it's a great ruck. It's a, it, it's a great organization. Uh, chief Lori Moran, retired chief, uh, uh, had me involved with it a few times. Unfortunately, I'll be TDY during, during it this year. Otherwise, I'd, I'd go and say it just seems like – Every, like the last three years, there's always something, someplace I have to be over that. But Correct. it is such it's a such a worthwhile true. organization. Uh, it, it is kind of it's kind of a fun ruck. I mean, people get scared, you know, they, like they, they hear the distance, like you're not doing all of it by yourself. Right. It's, it's a relay. Like a it's a team. Steroids. You know, is it? Yeah, you you know, you we have a chase vehicle. You'll you'll be taken care of. So uh, it's, I have one more question for you guys. Um, otherwise, we could be here talking. <laughs> all day and uh, but how is being in the guard together at the same time how, how does th- that enhance your relationship and are there any detriments to both of you serving at the same time like what are the wh- what are the pluses and negatives of both of you especially in going into your current assignments because you're both now in key Right. advisory assignments for this wing. It's not like, you know, you're you're just uh, come and go as you please because you're sliding under the wire. You are, like, in the limelight. How is it enhancing your relationship, and are there, are there any negatives? We talked a little bit about this on the ride over here, actually, because um, there, there's definitely some good stuff, and there's some, you know, there's some, just some challenges. I mean, we can no longer really have some of these conversations, these tough conversations because of the position that I'm in and the position that she's in, mm. you know, she has, she, she has a better understanding of what I'm going through and I have a better understanding of what she's going through. But some of these things we just can't, we just can't talk about. That's right. Right. Yeah. Um, but prior to that, and then there's the, the normal stuff, you know, uniform inspections and <laughs> deployments and, you know, she understands and I understand if, if I want to do a PME, what what it means to, to me, 
you know, I just I just recently com- completed the uh, the senior NCO academy, and then I went right into the first shirt academy, back to back, six days in between. <laughs> so I, I was away f- away from home for 10, 10 weeks, right. you know, and she was at home holding the fort down, keeping the kids going to school and keeping them fed and fixing cars and heaters. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so uh, she you know she has an understanding of that. Right. You know, she she knows, and and the same goes for, for her. I'm sure that you could probably in, elaborate on that a little bit more too. Yeah, it's a lot easier to understand what the other person's going through and to know without knowing, you know, um, exactly what event happened. You understand their stress. You understand why it was crazy during weekend. We have we have things that we can uh, we can. Um, help each other cope with and mostly we just go for a run <laughs> <laughs> yes well yeah because i know you but now have you ever run the marathon brett i have i've, yeah, I've run boston so. a couple times yeah uh. the first time was tough but <laughs> <laughs> wow. marine corps marathon was much yeah. much better and then chicago was was even better than that the challenge is making sure that we have our calendar fit for you know to accommodate each other's responsibilities right, right? We, we're double tapped in that as you know, respect. Um, so when we thought about it, we came up with a lot of probably more challenges than rewards. Um, but the rewards are, are overwhelmingly you know, more powerful than the challenges. The challenges are logistics. Right. Um, and the rewards are, you know, the, the, the service uh, benefits that you get and that pride of wearing the uniform. You know, we did play rock, paper, scissors when we we had this giant break in service of who was going to go back in, and, and I won. I got to come back <laughs> in first, <laughs> right? But then once I was in and he wanted to come back in, I, I, there was no way that I could say, no, you can't finish what you started. Because right. I was on a quest to finish what I started, and, mm. and um, you know, you just can't replace the rewards. Yeah, we get to, we get to share in a lot, a lot of the good stuff. Yeah. Which is great. She has, like, again, she has a very much better understanding of what I'm going through and what she's going through and we can just share in those, in those rewards when good things happen. It's like, wow. Yeah. And she understands and I understand. So it's, it's great. Well, like I said, we could keep going on forever. Uh, there's just so much here. Uh, such a great story and that, you know, you're, you're living this together. That's like a, like, really cool thing i mean i go home all the time i try to explain to my wife what i do whatever and she she loves it and she's excited for it as a matter of fact she listens to every chevron's podcast has no clue what we're talking about (laughs) but she wants to be part of it she wants you know she wants to to share with it and here it is the two of you get to share you know the the impact that you're making and the legacy of being guardsmen where you're going together and just two stellar careers. So I want to thank you for for uh, being on the uh, on our episode today. Uh, did either of you have any final remarks or anything that you wanted to uh, say before we wrap up? Well, I wanted to say thanks to you, Chief, and and uh, Sergeant Whitaker and PA. I, I listened to your podcast. Uh, apologies, I don't know which one it was, but you were talking about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. And I listened to it the night before I was going into my first ever one-hour swim. <laughs> and 
when do you sleep? I'm sorry. Like, okay, the whole, I'm sorry. The whole time I've just been sitting across this table like, when do y'all sleep? Uh, <laughs> I have two modes. I have full on go and full on stop. Okay. So, uh, I sleep. It's part of marathon training. You get to take a lot of naps. But I was training because mar- running does get boring. And so I've reached out to my, you know, extended growth and I do the endurance events, but I also do triathlons as I learned how to swim at 46. (laughs) (laughs) So, but getting comfortable with being uncomfortable stuck in my head of, you know, I was on this challenge for myself. It was a fundraiser and I wanted to see how many laps I could swim in that one hour. And right away I choked on water because I'm not (laughs) a very proficient swimmer. And so I saw my water bottle at the edge, and I thought, well, I could stop and take a sip of water, and I would be so much more comfortable. But then I would give up that continuous Mm. time of swimming. And so I just said, well, let me just see how long I can go. Maybe it'll be another lap. Maybe another lap. And I made it the hour. I made it the hour without getting that extra bit of water just to be comfortable in what I was doing. So it was. it's those little things you put in people's head is, is ask for help and ask for encouragement and give help and give encouragement and you never know where your words will make impact and your words make some impact and carry that through yeah we never know the influence and impact that we can have on others um and uh it it it's uh, it just an hour swimming i mean I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I feel like such a slug and I consider myself a fit human being and I'm like, now nah, I get up my game now. So you're motivating me. So you've become my mentor. So I appreciate you. It's tough keeping up with her. I bet. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to thank both of you guys as well. Thank you very much. This has been, this has been really awesome. Um, I think something I would like to share would be um, have an ethos, right? Come up with your own ethos. Uh, it's okay to it's okay to steal steal someone else's ethos because they're, they're not we'll just say, they're not we'll just exclusive. Say borrow. Yeah. Borrow, yeah. borrow 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 yeah. right innovate innovate yeah. yeah so have an ethos my ethos is always be ready and it's stolen of course but mm-hmm. that's okay always be ready so I found that throughout my military career I've, I've always been ready when that door opens up I'm ready to go through yeah. right and that's my I think one of some of the best words of advice I could give to to the airmen out there, just always be ready. Get your PMEs done. Be ready for be ready for your P, your PT test. Be right. ready for whatever's whatever's coming. So that way you can just when the door opens, you're right there. You have you have a choice, right? Yeah, at that point you have a choice. So excellent. I, so Whitaker, anything? I'm just blown away. I'm honestly like I'm sitting there. I'm 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 fortunate. I haven't turned forty yet, um, but I'm just thinking about where what what my next step is, and, and just you know just for there's a lot of airmen that 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 need to hear this, and because just because you reach a certain age, there's there's so much more that you can learn. There's so much more that you can do, and you know kudos to to both of you just for stopping by and sharing the story because I think people just. It's so easy for us to get stuck where you're stuck in our ways and just like, you know, I can never do that. I can never do that. And then you just do it. And so it, it's just it's it's really it's really nice to hear because it lets it lets me know personally that life ain't done with me yet. And, exactly. you know, like yeah. life ain't done with me yet. And mm-hmm. so it, it's just it's I really, really appreciate y'all just coming down. Seriously. That's yeah, never over till it's over. Yeah, I appreciate you Thanks, both. Jay. 
it really has been an honor serving with you over the years and watching your progression uh, to awesome air warriors that are not done yet. So, uh, Sir Whitaker, what do you say you and I go hit the pool? Uh, yes, uh, I will. Um, I'm going to probably, I, I just ate, so I probably shouldn't. No. Yeah, you know. I, <laughs> you should wait 20 minutes. You know, <laughs> What's the rule? And this is leave-in conditioner, so I probably shouldn't okay. swim either. Okay, so, right, uh, yeah. But with that said, <laughs> I hope everybody out there has a really great, uh, awesome day. And uh, thank you for your listenership. And we will be back uh, next month with another episode of Chevron's. Thank you all for this. Take care.